What's up, everybody? Hope you're doing great. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, it's awesome to be in God's presence to worship together. Uh, I am really excited. This is week two of a series that we started uh, where we're covering apologetics. Uh, we're calling this series Unshakable Truth where we are defending our faith in a modern world. Because apologetics isn't us apologizing for having faith. It literally is us learning how to defend our faith uh, and who we are in Christ. And so I'm so glad that you're, you're dialed in and you're connected because today is going to be powerful. Some of, some of these concepts and scriptures are going to seem simple and elementary, but I'll tell you what, they're going to be challenging because I'm challenging you today to, to see if you're actually doing the things that, that the Bible is calling us to. Because it has gotten very, very difficult to share our faith in this modern world. It's been difficult to share about Jesus. There's been a little bit of a shift in culture. Haven't you felt that over the last several years where for us as Christians, for as Christ followers, to share our faith has changed a little bit? It's really challenging. It's challenging to be faithful and to be bold, uh, to talk about Jesus. If you bring up Jesus at work, you, you kind of get funny looks or you're even not allowed to talk about Christ. And so today, we're going to focus on Facing our friends without fear, where we're going to share about our faith with our friends without being afraid. And so we have to be confident and understand what that is. And so I want to share with you a verse of scripture. This is recorded about the Apostle Paul in the end of the book of Acts of the Apostles in chapter 28, verse 31. It says, he was boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Now, I realize there will be people that may try and stop us, but I love this passage where he was talking about it. It was towards the end of his life to give you a little bit of context of this particular verse. So this is the last verse in this book, but this is Paul when he's on house arrest. He's in Rome, and he's facing a, a, a jail time, or he's in jail time, but it, they put him on house arrest. And, and just so you understand, he did end up being a martyr, but he was sharing about his faith boldly for two years. And no one tried to stop him. And so prior to this, he had faced significant opposition. I mean, significant opposition. And sometimes we face that as well. But he did not let that stop him. And I just feel that's where we're at. That's what we need to do as a people, as a church, uh, in, in how we live about our life and how we go forward. We should not be afraid. But we are, aren't we? I mean, let's be honest. We want to be bold, but we're afraid. We're afraid to share about Jesus. Now, if we want to be better at something, if we want to improve, we have to put in some time, some work, some effort, don't we? I, I, I know some people that they wanted to learn some, some MMA stuff. They wanted to get in shape, and so they decide to, to take some self-defense classes and the kickboxing and, and some personal defense things. Like, I get it. I, I, it's so cool. It's awesome, amazing. But so they wanted to use that partly to get in shape, but also in case something happened, right? In case, you know, they, had, they were in a situation they wanted to be able to handle themselves and defend themselves. Well, if you want to be able to do that, you've got to get some training. You know, you can watch some videos and stuff, but you really you have to kind of get down and dirty. You've got to learn some moves. So they were doing that. They were figuring some things out, you know, arm twists and, you know, knees and like all super cool stuff. And, and they were practicing on their roommates. They were practicing on their boyfriends and their husbands and, you know, pinning their husband to the ground with knee in the back. And like, but you have to learn that. 
Right? And all the husbands are like, yes, I remember. It was great. You know, it's just so, but you had to learn how to handle yourself. And so what happens is when we learn those particular moves, we feel a little bit more confident, don't we? We go, wow, like I could actually do something. I could defend myself if I needed to. And what that is is we've gained a little bit more knowledge. We've gained a little bit more ability. And I would say the absolute same thing is true when we're talking about defending our faith. We have to have a little bit more knowledge, have to have a little bit more confidence, a little bit more ability. You need to know where you stand with what you believe and why you believe the things you do. So when those decisions come up, because they do, like everybody always talks about, oh, you got to be careful when you talk about religion, you got to be careful when you talk about politics, right? But religion comes up, maybe at work, maybe at the dinner table, right? It just, it comes up all the time. And so we don't need to be pushy when the opportunity comes up, but we should be confident in who we are in Christ. And we should be able to handle ourselves because most everyone, I would dare say, just about everyone, if not all people, believe that their beliefs are right. We all think that our opinions are correct, don't we? That's why we've formed the opinion that we have. We think that we're doing the right thing. All of our views, our perspectives, we think we're right. In fact, we even know we're right on certain things. But other people that have different beliefs than you and I do, they actually believe that their views and beliefs are correct as well, even if they're in opposition to ours. You know, this is a, a, a milestone week uh, for us as a nation. Uh, for, forever, September 11th, 2001, changed us as a nation. It's written in the history books. It's a day that comes up that we remember. Uh, and, and, so, and, and many of us, we remember where we were when we saw the planes going to the towers and the towers being on fire and, and, the, and the horrible the, hor the horrible acts uh, that took place and the horrific things that happened to so many thousands of people on that day, don't we? But when we go back, the terrorists that did those things, they believed what they were doing was right. They actually believed what they were doing was good and beneficial for their religion, for their beliefs, and for them. Now, after those attacks, people flooded churches. People were searching for answers, and what's the deal? What's going on? For a few weeks. And then that church attendance began to dwindle. Uh, and over the last two decades, uh, Christianity in America has continued to decline. I don't know if you're aware of that. You do the research. You check the numbers and percentages. Uh, but uh, church attendance and Christianity in America has continued to decline, and it's been steady. Over the last five months, Gosh, it's drastically declined, and, and I get it. Like, I understand, you know, the social distancing and the things that are going on, but church attendance, whether online or in person, has significantly decreased. But atheism, over the last several decades and recently, has continued to climb. It, where, where people just disregard God entirely, they push Him aside. So atheists not only think that those of us that are Christ followers, they not only think that we're wrong, because we put faith in a God, but they see us as weak, they see us as dangerous at times, uh, and, 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 and you can see certain people and certain groups are actually hostile against Christians. They may be tolerant of Muslims, but they're hostile towards Christians. Does that mean that we're wrong? No. 
No, it, it doesn't at all. In fact, it, it makes me more confident in who I am. Uh, it makes me more confident in who I am in Christ and, and my leadership as, as a pastor of this church and in our community, that we as a church should, should take this time and rise up because we need to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so if we're going to be faithful... And bold in this type of environment, there's some particular things that we need. So we're not afraid to have the conversation. So the first thing I want to share with you is we need a plan. I mean, just plain and simple, you need a plan on how you're going to share your faith and talk to people. And so I would just encourage you to share the gospel a little slower. To to share it slower, to be more deliberate and be very relationship-driven, where we want to have connection with people, people that we know. They know who we are, because we're not going to convert everyone immediately. It's just, it's not, it's not going to be the case. And, he, and I say that out loud, and we know that. If I say we're not going to convert everyone immediately, you go, oh, yeah, absolutely. We know that, but here's the problem. We've stopped gardening. When it comes to sharing our faith. And, and the reason I, I use the phrase gardening is because Paul wrote about the plan about gardening in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He said, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And I think for us as a people, as a church, we've stopped gardening. We've stopped planting seeds, and we've stopped watering because we're afraid. We're no longer bold and, and willing to, to make the, the case for Christ. We're, we're afraid and concerned about what other people think. Either we're not comfortable because we don't think we know enough about Jesus. We're afraid we might get a question that we can't give an answer to. Or, or we're afraid the person that we're going to talk to won't like us anymore. Or we just don't care that they're going to hell. And so which one is it for you? Because I, I would ask, like, how many times over the last year have you shared your faith with somebody? So it's one of these for you. Is it, is it okay for me to say that? Is it okay for me to challenge you? Like, as your pastor, I love you so much. I care for you so much. And we are to do this. This is a mandate from Christ that we're to do this, but we're not. And so I, I'm willing to step on your toes a little bit. I'm willing to get up in your face. And challenge you, how many times over the last year have you shared your faith? Is it because you're, you don't know, you're, you're not comfortable, you're afraid, or you don't care? It's one of those, or, or a variation of the others. And, you know, for me, as a person, just so you're aware, like I, it, I've taken spiritual gifts tests before, and we actually do that as part of our uh, Discover track, and so we would love to have you do that so you can learn your spiritual gifts. Well, one of mine is, is the spiritual gift of evangelism. Like, I have that. It's leadership, it's pastoring, it's teaching, it's evangelism, it's giving. Right? Those, are, those are my mix. And so I have examples of conversations where there are true conversions, and it's awesome. I, I, and, and at times, I get to share that on, uh, in our services you know, and sometimes I'll have people raise their hand, make some type of declaration, or, or pray a prayer with me. And that's great. I'd love to do that. That's great. But I want to tell you, I do more gardening than I do harvesting. I, I do way more planting and watering than I do actually, actually seeing conversions take place. 
And so what I do just in my strategy and this plan, like I offer things in conversation. When I'm talking with people, we're talking about a lot of different stuff. And I just, I try and work faith in there. I try and talk about my, my, my story. I try and, try and challenge people's thinking. Why is it that you think certain things? And so when I share my story, I'm just simply planting a seed. Now I get it, it's easier for me, because in, in a normal conversation, sometimes they'll say, well, what do you do? I, I can't dodge that one. You're a, I'm a pastor. And I either get one of two responses. They either are excited that I'm a pastor, or they're like, yeah, conversation's over, bye-bye. You know? so but, but because of that, it kind of gives me an open door. And I get that, and I understand that. But you have a story. You absolutely have a story, and it's a powerful one, and so share that as part of your story. Or, or maybe you just wear a Grace Church t-shirt out in the community and do some nice things. You know, buy somebody's gas, buy somebody's coffee, and they're like, why'd you do that? It's like, well, you know, I, just, I, I go to Grace Church, and they encourage us to do fun things, nice things. And so be nice to people. Like, it, it, it can be that easy. It really can. But I want to challenge you to do something. Do something to share your faith. Because when we have even these conversations about religion, I, wanna, I, I hope this is okay. Like I want to share with you, just it's okay to ask some questions because everybody thinks that they're right. I think I'm right. You think you're right. Other people that have other faiths and beliefs or no faith at all, they think they're right. So ask them. Ask them why. Why do you believe that? Where did that come from? And just listen. You don't need to correct them. You don't need to change them. You're just asking to get a baseline of where their worldview is and how they got there because they may share some things that are pretty revealing. Maybe they share a story of how they used to go to church, but they were hurt by somebody in the church. And so now they've disregarded God entirely. Oh, that should make our hearts sink. And in that moment, we have this incredible opportunity to bring about reconciliation, to bring about forgiveness, apologize for what happened to them, that that person you know, offended them, hurt them, did something, whatever it is. But tell them it's not, that's not the way that God designed it and help them to understand that their perspective may be a little bit skewed or off. What do you mean by that? Right? When, when they make such a bold statement, I'm an atheist, and this is what I, well, what do you mean? Tell me, explain that, just listen. How did you come to that belief? And then just hear their story. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. We're not trying to prove them wrong. We're just listening and hearing. So I just want to encourage you to, to do that. Find out what they believe and why they believe it. I, I, that's easy, right? It's just easy. You ask a simple question, you just listen. And so the plan is farming. Have that mindset. When you plant seeds in the spring, you know you're not going to harvest them till the fall. Like it's it's extended period of time. Have that type of mindset. We're not going for immediate conversions. We're, we're, we have a long-term perspective. And so take that understanding in the plan. The second thing, you need to know the gospel. Uh, like this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is how we understand, you know, salvation. And so, just in in a nutshell, it's like five key words that we've got to get. Like it's God. Like we un- we understand that God is real. God is alive in who He is, and He created man. Like He created us, man and woman. Like He made us in His image. But the thing that was not so great is Adam and Eve fell. That they fell into sin, and so we have to understand that there's sin. It's reality. It's something that we face. 
we and ourselves are sinful because they fell. But, but God had a plan as well. And the plan was to bring Jesus, his one and only son, that Jesus was born, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for us. He not only died and was buried, but he rose again. Like, that's the gospel. Like, to, just to lay it out, like, we need to know the gospel, be able to communicate the resurrection of Jesus, and now he's alive. But the thing about it is, you can't just tell somebody that Jesus died for them so that their sins would be forgiven and they wouldn't go to hell. You can't just say it like that, right? You can't. I wish you could, and I wish that people would hear that, but the problem is, is it's just noise to them. They've heard it so many times, they see it as your belief and not their own, that you can't just say it like that, like a punch in the face. Now, do I believe that Jesus is the only one that solved the problem of sin? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Forgiveness and cleansing, that's amazing for us. And so how do we show them? How do we tell them that without just trying to punch them right in the face? And so it's being who we are. It's knowing the gospel about Jesus and who he is. Right? So following Christ, following in his footsteps, following his example. You know, it, it, understanding that when we're in a certain conversation, how would Jesus handle it? When we're under pressure, how, what would Jesus respond with in this situation? Because time and time again, Jesus was life-giving. He was so encouraging. Wasn't he? When you read through the Gospels, like it's mind-blowing how incredibly loving and gracious and compassionate and powerful Jesus is. Even in the most extenuating circumstances, Jesus was so strong because of who he was. I mean, gosh, let me give you a couple of examples. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who she's caught in adultery. I mean, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. How she, and she literally is brought out, thrown before the religious leaders. You know, when you read the, the scripture and understand, I mean, she maybe was clothed a little bit, maybe. I mean, we're talking like this awful situation, thrown before Jesus, all these other men standing around. Can you imagine? Put yourself in that situation. All these seemingly religious leaders do that to mock her, to, to chastise her, and they demand judgment. And Jesus makes this statement. It, 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 we all know it together. You know, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. And then you get to verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the, with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I go and sin no more. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine being in the middle of a situation like that? That's hard. So challenging. And Jesus was so composed. And what did he give? He gave her grace. He gave her truth. He gave her forgiveness. And he said, now I want you to live a different lifestyle than what you've been doing. You know, people think that God is only judgmental. Now, I do believe that when our days are up and done, do we need to stand before God? Absolutely. But those of us that are in Christ, it's not us and our good works that, that get our entry into heaven. It's because of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross that gets, gets us access there. But to know the gospel is to know the Savior, to know the Lord, to know who he is, to receive his forgiveness, to give forgiveness to other people to re, like experience his grace in our lives. 
Now, so what that is, is that's like encouraging, that's uplifting, right? And, and so don't just only share negative in your life. If you're only sharing negative things, like people notice that. Like give hope, give encouragement. Even in extenuating circumstances, we can give life and encouragement to other people. Be that type of person. Another incredible example is when Jesus told the story in Luke 15. This is the story of the lost son. There was a son, he had two sons, and one of them decided, I want to leave, that father, leave his father's you know, house. He took his money, and he left. He indulges in this promiscuous lifestyle, does, does a whole different, a bunch of different things, gathered up some shame and guilt along the way, lost all of his money, and he's in utter despair. He's in just absolute desperation, down on the bottom. And we find ourselves in Luke 15, verse 20. So he returned home, right? That's what we do as people. We go back home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Like, this is so powerful. This is our story. While we were still sinners, Christ died, and the Father welcomes us back. Can't you tell that story? Can't you share that with somebody? Like, man, the person I was before, oh, I'm a little bit ashamed by that, but I return back home, and, and there's a Heavenly Father, and He welcomed me back. You know, there's, there's times in my life, you know, my story, like how I live, there's times in my life when temptation leads to sin. And we hate that, don't we? We're like, oh, I did it again. I said it again. I felt it again. And we feel guilty. I know there's times when I commit sins, like sin feels like this oppressive black cloud, doesn't it? When you feel the guilt and the shame, and like I find myself just kind of putting my, my hands over my face and going, why did I do that? Why did I say it? But then the thing that's incredible is when I gather myself together and I take my hands away and I confess my sins towards God, he forgives them. That's John 8. That's, that's Luke 15. He forgives me of my sins. And so I have one of two choices. I can still walk around slouched and carrying the guilt that I don't, I don't need to carry anymore because Christ took that. He offers me forgiveness or... I can pull my shoulders back a little bit. I can receive the forgiveness. I can receive the grace that I don't deserve. Time and time again, I don't deserve it. And he gives it to me anyway. And so I've just come to the place in my life where I'm like, I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm going to struggle. I try and do it less and less. But when I do, I just acknowledge it. And then God changes me and, and he restores me and he welcomes me back with open arms. Have you felt that before? Because if you've truly felt that before, that's incredible. There's nothing like it. And other people are desperate for that as well. And so when you share about Jesus, share about your shortcomings. So many times, like other people look at Christians and they think that we think that we're perfect. So what if we come across and we're like, I am not perfect at all. All of a sudden, we've disarmed them. They're like, you think you do everything right? You think you're a goody-goody, you and your Jesus. Like, man, what if we started with, oh, I've messed up so many times. Because we do, all the time. What if we started with the fact that we just struggle? 
with just living that life, and it's hard and challenging, but when we fall short, God welcomes us back, and there's nothing like the forgiveness from an apology. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing like that. And so when we know the gospel, we know that our sin is paid for, we know that we've been set free. And that, hopefully that's like liberating for you, and just a deep, a deep just breath of fresh air that we can live this type of lifestyle. The, the final thing that I want to share with you is we need biblical morality. And so biblical morality is our plumb line. Uh, this, is, this addresses how we live. For those of us that are Christ followers, you know, when we talk about unshakable truth, there is a truth. It determines how we live. It determines how, how we walk. And so this is like the instructional video, you know, that we watch and, and we can, can, can follow along with. But in a post-Christian era that we're in, Scripture cannot be the basis for our conversation and for morality. Like it can't be because most people do not see the Bible as God's word. They don't see it as authoritative. So that's why we're talking about this. We're being able to defend our faith and not be afraid. So we need a plan. We need to know the information. But the biggest influencer that we can have is how we live our life. How you and I go about our business decisions, having integrity in business and contracts and, and not being shady. Like that is so important. There's so many companies and people and industries where they get a reputation of like, ooh, stay away from them, right? So what if you and I, as Christian business owners, decide to, to, to follow a moral standard that God lays out? Is that more lofty than maybe some of the other competitors? Absolutely. But what if we saw it so important that God sees it and we walk in the fear of him how we do our business handling and God blesses it as a result? But other people don't believe in God's word as authoritative. So, but us, we do. So we're using scripture as that line that, that draws in the sand. And so there's a couple things that I want to share with you with this. There's just that we need to have the understanding of truth and righteousness. So to me... Having biblical morality is where we know the truth, where we know what's right, that, that it, it, and God determines it for us. We don't get to decide. Literally, God lays this plan you know, in the instructional video for us that, that we can watch, and so you and I now have this incredible opportunity to walk out our lives in righteousness, where we're making decisions that are right and good and, and godly and holy. One of the phrases I love to talk about is just walking in the fear of God. Not fear like, oh my God, God is going to judge me and strike me down. No, no, no. It's the fear that we know God is there watching, but knowing that as we walk this out, he gives his approval as we live a lifestyle that's honoring to him. Totally different perspective. One is fear of something that's going to happen to us, a punishment. The other is fear of discipline. That if we go off the track, that God will discipline us. Totally different perspective on what we experience and how we can live. So we can walk in truth and righteousness. And here's the other reason I, I say biblical morality. It's Psalm 119, verse 105. It's, uh, this is where the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. We want light on the path that we're walking, don't we? Because if we don't have light, we're going to trip and stumble. But if we use God's word as the standard that we follow, 
he's going to show us and give us light where we're putting our feet. And so to me, I believe that biblical morality is the standard that, that we Christians should live by. Now, this is going to sting a little bit. If you are not living a lifestyle that is a biblical lifestyle, where you would say, if I asked you, I said, are you living in biblical morality? If you couldn't say yes, but you still claim Christianity, like you say, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, but you're not following that standard, the phrase that describes you is a cultural Christian. And what that is, is that means that you claim Christianity because you like it, it seems right, it seems good. Maybe because grandma was a Christian or you feel like you're supposed to, some type of tradition or heritage in your family or it makes you feel better that you are, but you're not living the life. And, and, and so, or maybe you just feel guilty and, or there's some other reason that you claim to be a Christian, but you're not actually living the lifestyle. You're actually doing more harm than you are good. Do you realize that? For those of us that are trying to do this and, and live by this standard, you're doing more harm than good because you're claiming something but not following according to the standards that God lays out for us. You're causing issues for the rest of us that are trying to do that. Because when we have the conversations, they're talking about people that are like, oh, that, that, well, such and such is a Christian, and whew, man, I wouldn't even know it. So... Are you willing to do whatever God calls you to or shows you regardless of the cost? Because that's what Christianity is. Jesus himself, God's son, gives his life up. The ultimate cost, the ultimate price for us because he loves us. And Are you willing to pay a price to follow Jesus? Because it, it's going to cost you something. You know that, right? It's going to cost you something. If, if I just described you as a cultural Christian, it's going to cost you something to change your lifestyle and how you go, your, go about your decisions. It's going to cost you something personally. It maybe will cost you some friends, some relationships, and, and I get that. But that's not too much. It, it, it may cost you something financially where you go, oh, like I used to you know, have my business handlings like that, and I, and I would justify it, but I know it wasn't right. And then all of a sudden, now you're changing. It's going to cost you, isn't it? But what are you going to gain in the long term? That's the planting, the watering, and the harvesting comes later. I just I feel like we have to have this understanding of the plan, the knowledge, and the reality that we need to live this biblical morality so I believe that preaching on apologetics and us defending our faith gets us this firm foundation. I hope that you take some steps and that you feel like you can defend your faith a little bit. Uh, because to me, with God's grace, we, we can actually stand up against some persecution. Because we face persecution, don't we? Persecution and martyrdom are more common in other countries around the globe. No doubt. Absolutely. But it's becoming more and more common in America by the minute, isn't it? To me, one of the, you know, I'm, I'm 45, so one of the instances that I look back, you know, over 20 years ago was 1998 in Columbine High School in Colorado, where this young student comes in and, and what he was asking was, do you believe in God? And if the response was yes, he was taking their life. That's persecution and martyrdom. 
taking somebody's life at the extreme. That was in 98. It happened before then, but gosh, there have been a number of church shootings. I'm not trying to make you scared about being here today, but I mean, when you look at history over the last couple of decades, there have been more church shootings. Uh, Why? It's because the devil wants to snuff Christianity out in America. Do you see that? Do do you see that? Like he's gaining ground. More atheists, less Christians. And the devil wants to do all he can to make us scared and afraid to not share our faith. So he's going to bring persecution. So so we're afraid and we're not going to do that because we're in a post-Christian culture now. I mean, we're like it's it's beyond Christianity. It's past that. It used to be that it was so strong, and and, and every, you know almost everyone was a Christian. It's like you you were you were the you were odd if you weren't. Now it's the opposite, and so we get looked at differently. So I want to just challenge you. You know, we're the keepers of the faith, and please understand we're not wrong. In our faith, there is just significant opposition. And the enemy, the devil, is doing all he can to try and squash Christianity in our nation. And so we need to know what we believe and why. Because we're going to face persecution. Now, there's other people out there that they don't yet know Jesus. You and I know them. We're friends with them. We work with them. They're in our family. They don't yet know Jesus. But we hope and we pray that one day they will. So we're going to plant We're going to water, and maybe we get this opportunity that we get to be part of that harvest. But I just want to challenge you. We can do this. We can take this step, defending our faith, not being afraid. And so here's my challenge to you. Three times this week, I want you to share your faith. Three times. How you do that, totally up to you. It could be somebody in your family. It could be somebody at work. It could be your neighbor. Share something encouraging. Share something about Jesus. Share your story. Wear your Grace Church t-shirt and and, and do something nice for somebody. And when they ask why you did it, you just say, well, my pastor made me. Like, I don't know, but something. Like, come on. Let's wake up, church. Let's be who we are. Let's have bold faith. Let's stop being afraid. Let's take these steps forward. Because the Lord commands it. It's inside of us. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's begin to recognize what's going on with spiritual eyes have him do these incredible things and so i want to pray for you as we continue to share our faith in in and around our lives and and who god has given us influence over so pray with me lord right now i just pray this this boldness lord i pray for an impartation of your holy spirit for those of us that are here in the auditorium lord for those of us that are watching online lord i pray wherever we are that we would feel your presence empowered by the holy spirit Lord, it's not our words, but it's your words. It's not our faith, but it's our faith in you. Lord, it's not who we are, but it's who we are in you, our connection. Jesus, because you're the Savior, you're the Lord, you're the one that that paid the price on the cross. And so we just get to be recipients. And Lord, now we share. God, I pray right now that you would put people on our mind, put them on our heart. Give us the boldness when we're talking, when we're sharing, when we're walking around, when we're driving, when when we're at work, when we're online in our meetings, when we're meeting with our boss. God, would you just kind of stir us? Would you bring this this message, this fact that we need to share our faith and not be afraid? Bring it back to memory. Quicken our spirit and give us the boldness to act. Give us the boldness to say it out loud. Lord, planting and watering is us. And God, that you would get the glory and that you would make the hearts. Lord, you're amazing.
amazing. Thank you so much for who you are. That your kingdom would advance. In Jesus' name.